Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of The Silent Suicide. I'm your host, Chicole Martinez, and thank you so, so much for tuning in with me today. As you know, I like to start every episode with a dedication to my beautiful friend, Melanie. Melanie, I love you. I miss you very, very much. I hope that you're looking down on me and you're proud of me. I also like to extend a prayer and loving thoughts to those of you listening who might be considering suicide at this very moment. I want you to know that you are loved, you are worthy, and you deserve to live. Now, if you caught last week's episode, which if you haven't, be sure you log on to the podcast app or my Buzzsprout website and check it out. The topic was all about schizophrenia. I will tell you that based on today's statistics, that is the second highest rated episode that I've had since my very, very first introductory episode. So I can't thank you guys enough. You are helping me grow this business together. We are learning together and it just fuels my fire to continually do my research and record these episodes because it It's just so wonderful, and I just love that the numbers keep increasing. And on another note, I've also been receiving a lot of very personal messages on my social media platforms. And for those of you who have shared your personal stories with me, whether it was being in a dark place or what you did to help a friend through a very difficult time, I can't tell you what it means to me to talk to you about that, to read those stories. It just really touches my heart that someone took a minute or two out of their very busy life and their very busy day to message me about something that, quite frankly, makes you feel very vulnerable. And I really hope that you guys continue to communicate with me. I hope that you provide me feedback about how I'm doing and what you want to hear about, what you want to talk about. But I just wanted to give a huge shout out and a huge thank you to all of the wonderful messages that I've received, especially in the last week. So if you didn't catch last week's episode, I kind of teased about having a guest interview. Well, that is still happening. And no, it is not this week's episode. Now I can speak from personal experience that guest interview episodes are extremely labor intensive. They're extremely time consuming. And I'm really, really looking forward to doing it. But I need at least a couple weeks in order to provide you with quality content. I just don't want to throw episodes out there for the sake of just throwing it out there every Sunday. So just know that behind the scenes and in the background, I am absolutely working on it, and I think you're really going to like it. So what did I decide to do instead? Well, I picked a mental illness on something that I think most people have heard about, and we have a slight idea of what it means, but I really wanted to delve into it a little more. And I really hope that after this episode, someone listening has learned something and has gained some sort of value. 
So what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about bed. Now you might be thinking, what the heck is bed? That's a different kind of podcast. Well, it involves this one too. It actually stands for binge eating disorder. So what I did is I started researching different organizations and associations that are out there that deal with nothing but eating disorders. Frankly, I should have assumed, but I really didn't even know that one existed beyond things like Overeaters Anonymous and things like that. So I found a wealth of information on a website called NIDA, Feeding Hope, which is the National Eating Disorder Association. And they have amazing information and a wonderful blog I really think that if you want to continue to learn more about this illness, you check out that website. So the president and CEO, his name is Chavez Turner, and he wrote a very interesting article on the topic. So I kind of wanted to discuss it with you. So one, as we always do, is what is the disorder? What is binge eating? Well, let's talk about it. Binge eating is recurring episodes of eating significantly more food in a short period of time than most people would eat under similar circumstances, with episodes marked by feelings of total lack of control. Now, to some people, when they hear that, the first thing that pops into their head is something as harmless as Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner. Those are situations where, especially us Americans, we use it as an excuse to eat thousands and thousands of calories in a day. And we kind of pretend that calories don't count on those days. Well, obviously, overeating at a holiday is very different from actually suffering from binge eating disorder. So people who suffer from this condition have marked distress. They have overwhelming feelings of guilt, embarrassment, or disgust. It occurs on an average of once per week over a 90-day or three-month period. People with binge eating disorder often binge alone in order to hide the behavior and hide the illness from their family and friends. Now, some of the key features of this particular disorder is, as I just said, secretive eating, excessive intake of food, and rapid eating. Now, for those of you that are either related to me or know me very well, I not only eat a lot, but I also eat very fast all the time. I was about 17, 16, 17 years old when I was diagnosed with this disorder. And, you know, at first my mom just thought she's going through her teenage crazy phase. You know, there's nothing really to it. She just eats a lot. I've always been a big boned girl. I've always been heavy. But it actually turned into something a lot more than that. Who suffers from binge eating disorder besides me. Think of everyone in your life. Do you have anyone that you know that might have binge eating disorder? 
If so, have you seen any of the signs or symptoms? Have you tried talking with them about it? Let us know how that went. I would like someone to reach out to me on one of my social medias. It's primarily through Facebook. And I would really like to ask you some questions about it. So let's get into the actual statistics on it. So the prevalence. One to three percent of children and adolescents will suffer from binge eating. 2.5 to 5.5 percent of adults will also suffer from the condition. Binge eating disorder has a later average of onset as compared to different eating disorders such as bulimia, anorexia, things like that, which tend to crop up during adolescence or teenage years. Out of all the eating disorders, it's more prevalent in males than any of the other kind of disorders which I had never heard that before. I had never seen that statistic before. So that was a little eye-opening. It's more prevalent in African-Americans, Native Americans, and Hispanic communities. Now, a sad part of it is it's often misunderstood or it's misdiagnosed. And a patient often gets blamed for this particular disorder you will sometimes be told, well, just stop eating so much. Or would you just go on a diet? Or aren't you full? That last one, aren't you full, really resonates with me because like I said before, I can eat very large amounts compared to loved ones in my life. And it's not so easy to stop eating just because you're full. And Don't even get me started about diets. I've tried every diet in the book. I've been on about 5,000 of them. And if you've seen me lately, you will know that it has not done any good. So now what I'm doing instead, I'm trying to focus my efforts on being treated for the condition rather than being shamed for having the condition. And we'll get into the treatments for this particular condition in just a little bit. So binge eating disorder, it again, it's not just the same as just simply overeating. And funny enough, it occurs in people of absolutely all different shapes and sizes. So 19% of people with binge eating are actually normal weight and have a normal BMI. 36% of people with binge eating are classified as quote-unquote overweight, and 45% of people with binge eating are actually classified as obese. So what about on other sides of the world? Well, I pulled up an article about binge eating disorder in Australia, so I wanted to go over that. Did you know that in Australia, there are more than 1 million Australians who are currently living with some type of eating disorder. Of those people with diagnosed eating disorders, 47% have binge eating disorder compared to only 3% with anorexia, 12% with bulimia, and 38% 
with another kind of eating disorder. And of everyone in Australia with binge eating disorder, 57%, so a little over half, are female. So why did I want to talk about something that may seem trivial to some? Well, binge eating disorder, it's not a choice, and it's a serious mental health illness. It's something that requires some sort of treatment, whether it's therapy, medications, and again, we'll get into that towards the the end of the episode. Eating disorders, as you can imagine, they have a significant impact on all aspects of your life. The first one is your physical. Think of how you feel after those holiday dinners. You are so full, you can't breathe, you feel like you can't walk, you feel like you need to unbutton your pants, you are just extremely uncomfortable. And then that's not even taking into account the emotional aspects of it. One of the most common morbidities of having binge eating disorder is obviously depression. It would be very difficult for anyone to succumb to a mental health illness without some sort of psychiatric condition on board as well. So again, the biggest one is depression, and then there's anxiety, attention deficit disorder, substance abuse issues, and PTSD. So what about these frequent episodes of binge eating? So a person with binge eating disorder specifically will recurrently engage in these episodes where they eat this large amount of food in a very short period of time. It's usually around the two-hour mark. But to meet the diagnostic criteria for the disorder, it has to occur at least once a week for those 90-day periods. A person with bed will often have a range of unidentifiable eating habits. They can include, as I said, eating quickly, eating when you're not even hungry, and continuing to eat even when you're full or feeling uncomfortable. So one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle that I wanted to mention was feelings around food. Feelings of guilt and shame are extremely high in people who have binge eating disorder. People with this illness, including myself, we don't look at food the way everybody else looks at food. We often feel guilty or ashamed about the amount of food and the way we eat during a binge episode. These episodes of binge eating can tend to increase during times of stress, anger, boredom, loneliness, or distress. At such times, binge eating is used as a a coping mechanism. It's a way to distract yourself from your negative emotions that you might be feeling at that time. Now, I will say from personal experience, you often feel a high when you're in the middle of one of these binge eating episodes. You're not even really tasting the food and you're not eating it for the purpose of enjoying it, you're 
eating it for the purpose of basically eating your feelings, of drowning whatever negative feeling that you're experiencing at that moment. I know for me, during periods of high stress, the amount that I eat and my actual episodes of binge eating increases quite a bit. A person's feelings about their body, their weight, the shape that they have, that can also trigger someone to binge eat. For example, someone might break a diet rule, they might feel full, or they may feel extremely hungry due to dieting. So for those of you listening that have been down the diet road with me, what happens when it's the weekend and you've eaten a brownie? The first thing you tell yourself is, oh, well, I've messed up the day. I'm just going to keep going. And before you know it, it's six months later and your diet is long gone. So what are some of the risk factors for binge eating disorder specifically? The biggest ones, first of all, I have to say that it's very complex. Again, binge eating disorder is difficult for those of us who have it because you can't live without eating. It's not like alcoholism where you can sustain from alcohol for the rest of your life and in the process get healthier. But you have to do quite the opposite with binge eating disorders. You have to eat. And so meal times and moments of eating a meal can be very, very stressful. And there are occasionally, believe it or not, sometimes where I myself will just skip dinner because I just don't want to feel the anxiety around it. I don't want to feel any negative emotions. So I just skip it altogether. So let's get back to the risk factors. The elements that contribute to the development of binge eating, they're quite complex and they involve a range of both biological, psychological, and sociocultural factors. Any person at any point in their life is at risk of developing an eating disorder. And don't forget, an eating disorder is a mental illness. It is not a choice that someone has made. Trust me, you would not make that choice for yourself if you could help it. So what are some of the warning signs? The warning signs of binge eating disorder, they can be physical, they can be psychological, and they can also be behavioral. It is possible for someone with bed to display a combination of all those symptoms or no obvious symptoms at all. Some of the physical warning signs can include feeling tired and not sleeping well, changes in your weight, usually an increase in your weight, and feeling bloated, constipated, or developing intolerances to some food that maybe they didn't have before. Now, what about on the psychological side of things? The first one, without a doubt, preoccupation with eating, body shape, and body weight. Body dissatisfaction and shame about your appearance, feelings of extreme distress, 
sadness, anxiety, and guilt before, during, and after a binge episode. Having low self-esteem, having an increased sensitivity to comments relating to food, weight, or your body shape. And obviously, like we talked about a minute ago, having depression, anxiety, or wanting to hurt yourself. And the last one is behavioral. Evidence of binge eating, such as disappearance or hoarding of food. Again, people with this disorder are often very secretive, so they won't eat or engage in these episodes until their family's asleep for the night, or there's no one else around, or they're home alone. Secretive behavior around food, such as not ever wanting to eat around others, and then erratic behavior, such as shoplifting food or spending large amounts of money on food. So as I always do, I take each week's topic and I always like to bring it back how it relates to suicide. As you've heard throughout this episode, eating disorders absolutely wreak havoc on your mind and on your body. If you think about it, it's really not surprising that people who struggle with these types of conditions often consider taking their own lives. In one study, up to 20% One in five of those with anorexia attempt suicide. Individual group studies have found that up to 60% of those with some sort of eating disorder engage in either suicidal thoughts or behaviors. The death rate by suicide among people with eating disorders is not only higher than average, higher than in those with depression, schizophrenia, or any other mental health disorder. Many factors can contribute to an increased risk of suicide or attempted suicide among people with any kind of eating disorder. These include suffering from multiple forms of mental illnesses, which often happens, family issues and conflict, social isolation, a sense of being a burden to others, a history of previous suicide attempts, and a disregard for the dangerous consequences of their behavior. So what do you do if you start to notice these warning signs, either in yourself or someone in your life? Well, as with any mental health illness, the first step is talk about it. I'm trying to remind people all the time that Lives are not going to be saved, and suicide will stay a taboo topic if we don't talk about it. That's the whole reason why I'm doing this podcast, because I want it to be part of everyday conversation. I want it to be something where people feel comfortable saying, you know what? I just listened to that episode. I have a lot of the signs and symptoms and I want to talk about it. If someone comes to you with that dialogue, just sit and listen. Don't offer advice. Don't tell them what to do. Just sit there and listen with a loving heart and a loving mind. In addition to suicide attempts, 
up to 40% or more of people with eating disorders engage in deliberate, non-suicidal self-harming behaviors. Those behaviors can include cutting, burning their skin, poisoning themselves, swallowing objects to cause choking, or other actions that cause some sort of great discomfort or pain. Self-harm behaviors are thought to be an attempt to use physical pain as a distraction from the psychological pain that that person may be experiencing. So what are the best forms of treatment for binge eating disorder? Well, as it is with most mental health illnesses, it's between two things. It's one, different medications, which obviously you have to work with a psychiatrist or your primary care doctor to discover which ones work for you, or cognitive behavior therapy. Now, there is some evidence for the use of antidepressants to treat binge eating disorder. If required, these other treatments are recommended alongside psychological treatments. Now, I just want to reassure anyone out there listening that it is possible to recover from binge eating disorder, even if you've had it for a really long time. I want you to know that your recovery can be long and very challenging sometimes, but I really want you to keep working at it and know that you can recover from this misunderstood illness. I really want to hear what you guys learned in this episode. I want you to know that when someone hears mental illness, they automatically think of the big ones, schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, things like that. But I really wanted to highlight something that's not so mainstream and is is a mental health disorder that I think more people need to learn about. And I think more people need to recognize that it's a real problem. So again, I'll end with the thought that I'm not sure if the guest interview episode will be ready to upload or not. But if not, I will do what I did today and I will pick another topic of a mental health illness. Let me know what you want to hear about. And don't forget, being different makes you special. And I hope you have a great week.